Welcome to the University of Delaware Center for Political Communications. We are the People Podcast. This podcast is part of the 2020 National Agenda series, We Are the People, an examination of the citizens' role in politics and elections, from campaigns to the voting booth, and how people engage or do not engage in politics. I'm your host, Tom Byrne, News Director at Delaware Public Media. On this episode, we're first joined by the UD Center for Political Communications Associate Director and National Agenda Series Director, Dr. Lindsay Hoffman. Lindsay, thanks for being with us. Sure thing. And a little bit later, we'll hear from the CPC's Research Director, Paul Brewer. A reminder, this is being recorded at 11 a.m. on Wednesday, August 19th, and we realize things could have changed between now and And when you are listening now, we actually kicked off this version of the podcast. Well, what seems like a lifetime ago back in early March pre pandemic. And just as Joe Biden was making his dramatic move to take the Democratic presidential nomination this week, Biden officially accepts that nomination. But before we get to that, Lindsay, I want to go back and just have you kind of reacquaint listeners with what this next national agenda series, We Are the People, is going to be all about here in 2020. I think we explained it a little bit in March, but it's been a while. So just give us a little kind of thumbnail sketch. Sure. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we the people is obviously a phrase that a lot of Americans are familiar with from uh, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. Um, when we were putting this together uh, in previous national agenda election years, we've focused a lot on the kind of political strategy behind uh, campaigns. And we thought this year we'd focus more on the citizens and the role that we play and also kind of putting some emphasis on the fact that we are the people. We are the people who make up this nation and we are the people who vote and who have really an important role to play as citizens of this nation. So it was kind of meant to be a way to remind ourselves that yeah, it's kind of important that we vote. It's kind of important that we stay in touch with what's happening politically. And, you know, what I keep saying in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's going on, um, one thing I, I used to have to explain to my students, which is why politics matters, I don't really have to explain that right now. Um, it's, so it's kind of like, okay, let's get this together, people. Let's, you know, we need to make... We need to be active as citizens and and make a difference in this country. And I imagine that this issue of engagement is really even more critical now this year when so much of how we're engaging in the process is changing, um, particularly because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Has that changed the way you're thinking or approaching the series itself? Yes and no. Uh, I, I put together a lot of the speakers prior to the onset of the pandemic, um, so I had had a lot of people agree to speak to actually come to campus. Now, of course, we'll be doing it all virtually. Um, but in some ways, uh, it's it's a lot of those speakers were already set up, and it was it was meant what, what kind of what what sort of came together um, as I'm looking at the whole series uh, and all the speakers that we're bringing in is kind of a not just what the citizens' role is, but sort of the role of the media, news media, and entertainment media in how we understand uh, politics and how we understand elections. So um, we're bringing in some very interesting perspectives uh, that I think will enlighten uh, citizens. And hopefully, uh, you know, now that we're going to be virtual, uh, hopefully more and more people can actually chime in and come into the conversation. Tell us a little bit about some of the people who will be speaking this year. Sure. Um, So 
we'll have the full lineup on uh, the Center for Political Communication website pretty soon. We're, we're just waiting on a few graphics and other things. But uh, we, our first speaker on September 16th is the founder of The Onion, the satirical newspaper, Scott Dickers. Um, so I thought that'd be a fun way to kind of start things off. Uh, the Onion's been around since the 1990s, uh, probably the first quote-unquote fake news uh, satirical uh, paper that we have been reading um, for several decades now. Um, on the September 30th, we have a special, um, two special guests who are Hollywood producers of uh, political dramas, television shows, uh, including Homeland, 24, House of Cards. This is Howard Gordon and John Mankiewicz. Um, and we also have uh, tentatively uh, a UD alum and political strategist, Steve Schmidt. Uh, so we'll be looking at sort of what Hollywood portrays politics as and what it really is. And then we'll be joined later on by uh, NPR TV critic Eric Dagens, who will give us some insight on the history of, of politics in drama and in television. On the 28th, we have uh, NPR's All Things Considered co-host Mary Louise Kelly, who made news pre-pandemic uh, for her uh, interview with um, uh, Mike Pompeo and uh, how he asked her to find Ukraine on an unmarked map. I don't know if you recall this oh, yeah. incident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then on the 11th of November, we have Julia Ioffe. She's a national security journalist and a specialist in uh, Russian intelligence and Russian interference. And we've just gotten some more news on that this week, yes. so that'll be really interesting. And then finally, we'll have a post-election analysis on the 18th of November, with Steve Scully, who's the executive producer of C-SPAN and uh, the anchor of their morning show, uh, morning call-in show, as well as Yamish Alcindor, the White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour. So um, that will be kind of a post-election analysis. Uh, I keep having to remind people this might not be a post-election who won. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but we can still talk about sort of what's happening. Um, because the state of play know. at the moment. The state of play at the moment. Exactly, exactly. So it's really, I think, a really well fleshed out series. And um, I'm actually pretty positive moving forward about taking this online because I think we will be able to engage audience members that we might not have been able to otherwise. So you yeah, tell us a little bit about the participation piece, uh, even if it's just kind of broad strokes right now. How will people be able to engage since they won't be able to come as they have in, in other years to Mitchell Hall or some other venue to, to be there physically? Sure. Well, you know, we have um, always, you know, provided our content digitally as well as in person. But now, of course, it's going to be all virtual. And we'll be using tools like uh, Zoom, uh, where people can ask questions in um, various uh, functions within Zoom. We're going to be using Instagram Live. Uh, we're going to be using a lot of different platforms to reach as wide an audience as possible. And another thing I'm working on this uh, year is I'm partnering with other universities. So uh, working with um, some of my colleagues, my faculty colleagues at other universities who are teaching courses in political communication, in media and politics, in entertainment and politics, to bring in uh, students from across the country to engage in these kinds of discussions as well. So there will definitely be a large component of it that's going to be devoted to having people asking questions. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, some of these speakers I may not have been able to get if we were asking them to come to campus. 
So I think in some ways, a virtual setting brings in speakers that we might not have been able to bring in otherwise. It's very cool. Now let's bring in UD Center for Political Communication Research Director Paul Brewer. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Doing fine. How are you? Not bad. Not bad at all. So what do you think about where we're at right now in terms of the presidential campaign? Now that we have this matchup, Trump, Pence, Biden, Harris, um, kind of writ large, you know, where, where do you see kind of where things stand right now? Okay, first I'm going to focus on where we were at going into the conventions, because there were, you know, there was the big announcement of Harris as the vice presidential pick, and then there were a flurry of polls, as there typically are, before the convention started, from major news organizations and polling organizations. And the big picture that they get, if you look across the polls, which is always what you want to do, because any one poll can be a fluke, uh, they give a picture where Biden is in a strong position in historical terms for a challenger. So, you know, the average poll lead for Biden is probably about eight points going into the conventions. And that's a pretty unusual place for a challenger in a presidential campaign to be. Historically, incumbents win more often than not under normal circumstances. Of course, these are not normal circumstances, which has really, I think, had an impact on the race. And so... Biden is, you you could argue Biden is using a traditional Rose Garden strategy, campaigning from doing an old porch stop campaign or basement campaign, uh, which is a strategy that you often see from an incumbent president who's in the lead, uh, whereas you have the Trump campaign saying, well, let's have four debates or or five debates or however many debates, uh, which is, again, not typical for an incumbent president. But uh, the, uh, the pandemic especially and just the unconventional politics of the last three and a half years has scrambled what you'd usually see at this stage of the campaign. As we look a little more at the polling, we, we see Biden, at least kind of over the last you know month or so, I guess, showing not just that strength overall that you talked about, but also strength in some of the battleground states and, and maybe even some states that are not usually considered ones where a Democrat might have a, a chance to win. Um, what do you make of, of that piece of it in terms of kind of the changing the, the map uh, as, as we see it? Yes, well, one thing that's happened over the past decade, and especially intensified over the past four years, has been a, I wouldn't call it a realignment, but maybe a reshuffling of some of the constituencies of the parties. And so you see, for example, uh, more educated suburban Republicans have drifted towards the Democratic Party, whereas there's been a reverse flow of working-class white Democrats towards the Republican Party. And one of the effects of this has been it's it's changed the presidential map. So, you know, in 2016, Trump surprised a lot of people and won the presidential election by flipping the states that had gone previously to the Democratic candidates of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Uh, Right now, Biden has, according to the polls that we have at least, a substantial lead in all three of those states, and that's probably the easiest path for him to win the White House. But the map does look different uh, in some ways. For example, if you look at Arizona, which is a historically re- Republican state, it's the state of Barry Goldwater, it's the state of John McCain. Uh, but uh, in 2018, the Democrats picked up a Senate seat there, and polls suggest that Biden may have a, a narrow lead in Arizona. It would be an even bigger coup for the Democrats to pick off a state like Georgia or Texas, which the polling suggests are at least competitive in this cycle. So in the there's some traditional Sunbelt battlegrounds like Florida and North Carolina that have gone back and forth over the last two election cycles where, 
you know, they're, they're battleground states right now. But historically, you know, at least, you know, in, in the, the, from the 1990s onward, we haven't seen states like Arizona or Georgia or Texas be competitive in presidential elections. Now, a lot can happen. Uh, you know, there, there have historically been some pretty big polling swings even three months out from the presidential election. Although one interesting thing about this cycle has been the stability of the presidential polling over the past few months, where Biden has maintained anywhere between a you know, five-point and ten-point lead for months now. And should Biden win, could it change the landscape here in Delaware? I mean, we've seen some pieces being written suggesting Senator Chris Coons could be part of a Biden administration. Uh, Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester was part of his uh, vice presidential vetting committee. Uh, do you see the potential for a, a round of musical chairs here? And it could suck in people like Governor John Carney or his predecessor, Jack Markell. Yeah, so at the very least, Biden's nomination has put Delaware in a pretty prominent place on the political map. And so, you know, look at, you can look at Lisa Blount Rochester. She's had a huge boost to her profile over the past month with being on the very important vice presidential selection committee and playing a prominent role in the Democratic National Convention. So, you know, that's that's made her much more of a national political player and not just a Delaware political player. Coons is an interesting case for a couple of reasons. So he's a very well-connected senator. Uh, he's, he's running for election right now. He does have a progressive challenger on his left. And, you know, his role in the Senate or in a Biden administration does bring out some of these political tensions within the Democratic Party. So the party is pretty unified right now, but in the primary campaign and probably if Biden wins in the policymaking arena, you know, there are tensions over things like how far to go on issues like health care, on uh, issues like uh, the New Green Deal. Uh, so on, on environment, on health care, Will the Democrats go for Medicare for all? Probably not with Biden in charge, but how far will they go? You know, some more progressive elements in the party might be suspicious of Coons' influence either in the executive branch or in the Senate. But, you know, another thing that Biden is probably thinking about is if he wins, it's really helpful to have good ties with the Senate to get things done, especially if the Democrats manage to win a Senate majority. And Coons could be very critical there as well. Another thing that the Biden administration would have to think about if he wins is coming up with a cabinet that looks like America. You know, in the Democratic National Convention, they had that roll call, which I think was a pretty striking showcase of the diversity of the Democratic Party. And I think those considerations will also play into who Biden would pick for key positions in, in an administration. Uh, one name that we, we haven't mentioned yet, but I think is another Delaware connection, is Ted Kaufman, who would be in charge of Biden's transition, and he's a longtime Biden ally and political player from Delaware. So certainly this is, this is, election is a big deal for Delaware politics and would be a big deal even more so if Biden wins. And certainly if he picks some people for his administration, it could open the door for some shuffling of who is where in positions ranging from the Senate to the House to the governor's office and down on the Democratic side certainly bears watching. You did mention the the progressive challenge to Chris Coons. And I did want to talk a little bit about on the Democratic side heading into the primary now less than a month away. Certainly the pandemic has, has hurt the chances of some of these progressive challengers, not just uh, Jess Scarane against Chris Coons, but others down ballot. 
you know, in, in gaining traction. But I guess the question I was going to ask you is, is, is the political climate in Delaware ripe yet for, progressive to score, for progressives to score some wins, or, or is it not quite there yet? I think it's, it's certainly a possibility, especially with uh, strong challengers. I think the challenge in Delaware is the places there have been some progressive candidates who have uh, defeated incumbents for nominations in the Democratic Party. My my impression is that that has typically happened in congressional districts where the constituency is, you, you could say, ripe for a progressive challenger. So, you know, where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won a couple of years back, where Elliot Engel lost uh, in this cycle in New York, or where Dan Lipinski lost in Chicago in this cycle. Whereas the, the Coons race in particular, you know, it's a statewide race, and you know, Delaware is a blue state, but it's not like it's one intensely concentrated pocket of progressive voters. So challenges like Skarain have to you know, really take their case to the public, and they might find a sympathetic audience on some of their issue positions uh, among the Democratic Party voters. But, you know, the, the pandemic and the presidential race does take up a lot of oxygen in, in the room for a campaign. And I guess down ballot, I mean, maybe there's maybe a little bit more chance if you're in the right district to, to find that, that right progressive audience and enough of it. Yes, and I think in terms of uh, the assembly, we might see some interesting new faces in the assembly uh, uh, come next year with uh, candidates like, for example, Sarah McBride in the race. On the other side for Republicans, um, the race for governor, six people. Um, the GOP faces an uphill battle in statewide races anyway because of the registration numbers. But I, can a splintered primary possibly help them I- make any inroads in a statewide race like the one for governor? Would they be better off with, you know, if they were going to have a primary, having it a little bit more limited? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in the old days, maybe the Delaware Republican Party could have exerted some control over this. But those days are clearly gone now. So you had, I was, uh, from what I understand, a kind of a wild uh, convention where some of the candidates didn't show up, and one of the, even though two of the candidates running are state senators, it was a political outsider who got the official nod, uh, uh, Murray. But then you've got Benini, who's been a statewide nominee a couple cycles before, uh, hasn't won in either of those races. You've got Scott Walker, who's also uh, run at the statewide level and lost, who's a real political outsider. And there's just a lot of unpredictability, and I think it raises the prospect, one, it's really hard to guess who's going to come out out of that six-candidate race with a GOP nomination in the gubernatorial race. And a candidate could win it with fairly small support. You know, you got Benini and Walker with name recognition for for pretty different reasons, and they're very different candidates, uh, both in terms of personal style and in terms of where they stand on key issues. So that's, that's a wild one, and it's not clear how it's going to turn out, uh, what's much more clear is that whoever wins that nomination is probably going to have a pretty stiff challenge in facing John Carney in the general election. So, Paul, let's finish up as we always do with our political quick take, uh, your hot quick take or quick hot take. And, Paul, we'll start with you. What, what's on your mind right now? Well, to come back to something we talked about earlier, uh, when the Center for Political Communication at the University of Delaware launched, it was a really exciting time in Delaware politics where you had uh, alums and uh, people from Delaware who were in prominent national political roles. You had Biden, you had Chris Christie, you had Steve Schmidt, you had David Plouffe. 
And so when we at the CPC launched the center, we, we kind of called Delaware the epicenter of politics. And it's, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, I think if you're in the Delaware political scene, it's, it's exciting times again, because Delaware is once again an epicenter of politics. You have a, a presidential nominee in Joe Biden. You have Lisa Blunt Rochester and Chris Coons uh, in national headlines. And you have a former key Republican political operative, Steve Schmidt, also a UD alum, who's now part of the Lincoln Project, which is a group of a lot of them are former Republican strategists who are attacking Donald Trump in a high-profile series of ads. So exciting times uh, for politics in Delaware right now. Dr. Lindsey Hoffman, let's, let's bring you back in. And uh, what, what's your political quick take? No, I think what I, really want to, what I wanted to focus on in terms of my political quick take uh, for, that we usually do for these podcasts is um, just emphasizing, again, the power that we, the people, have in this nation and how important it is for people to vote and how difficult that may be or how difficult it may seem to be um, as we may have to vote by mail or absentee. So um, I wanted to remind Delawareans in particular that uh, you can register, you can uh, vote by register to vote by mail. You can request an absentee ballot. Uh, it's very easy to do if you just go to ivote.de.gov. Uh, .gov. That gives you all the information you need as a Delawarean. If you are living in another state, just look for your um, information uh, from your state uh, about how to register to vote absentee. And so th- the point here is that w- what I'm concerned with is um, young people, millennials, Gen Z, they make up the, they're the largest generation uh, in the United States today. But a recent Washington Post poll said that found that only 49% of that generation said that they were certain to vote in this election. Compare that with people who are 65 and older, 84% said that they were certain to vote. So I'm calling out all the young people and saying, look, you're the largest generation. Make sure your voice is heard. Um, make sure you are registered to vote and make sure that you check this out sooner rather than later. It is August. Yes, the the election is in November, but we're in an unusual time here. So the time to take action is now. Dr. Lindsay Hoppen, UD Center for Political Communication Associate Director and National Agenda Series Director, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And UD Center for Political Communication Research Director, Paul Brewer. It was great having you on this episode of the We Are the People podcast. Thanks for being with us, Paul. (laughs) Thank you. That's all for this edition of the podcast. I'm Delaware Public Media News Director Tom Byrne. We will see you again next time on the We Are the People podcast from the University of Delaware Center for Political Communication. Thanks for listening to this edition of the University of Delaware Center for Political Communication podcast, produced by the UD Center for Political Communication and Delaware Public Media. For more information on the University of Delaware's Center for Political Communication and the We Are the People National Agenda Series this fall, visit cpc.udel.edu.